0: If the Pakistanis are reasonable people, then what's the logic behind helping North Korea build their nuclear program?
1: That was a purely business decision. If you remember, a purely
0: business decision.
1: The Pakistanis have a very good nuclear program because they built, stole information, developed information, bought information from this black market that exists around the world. Welcome to You Are The Guest, a weekly show where you can be the guest and tell people what you and your friends and neighbors think about news events and issues of the day. It's part talk show, part opinion poll, part reality show, and a whole lot of fun. And it's completely dependent upon your participation as a guest. To be considered as a guest for a future show, check out the website at www.youaretheguest.com for details. Now here's your program host, Bill Grady.
0: Greetings from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa, and welcome to show number 48 of You Are the Guest, the show where we talk to everyday people just like you and me about their lives and about the issues of the day. Our guest today comes all the way from New York, Imran, welcome to You Are the Guest.
1: Thank you. My pleasure to be here.
0: Imran, can you tell our listeners about yourself?
1: Well, I am a New York-based syndicated uh, journalist and uh, whatever the word means, a media personality in terms of being a commentator on um, everything from GOTV to uh, CNN or Fox News on world affairs, and uh, a media and technology expert in my uh, day job.
0: Have you always lived in the U.S.?
1: Well, I was born in Pakistan, and I've lived in this great nation since uh, January of 1989, and an American citizen since uh, last century.
0: Imran, since you lived part of your life in Pakistan, I have a lot of questions for you concerning Pakistan, North Korea, and Iran. My first question for you is, what are some of the biggest misconceptions that the world has about Pakistan?
1: Well, that's a great question. Pakistan actually is one of the uh, victims of uh, more misunderstandings than many other countries. Pakistan is actually... Uh, about 150 million people, mostly uh, Muslim, and mostly semi-conservative but liberated-thinking Muslims who seem to be held hostage by the fact that less than 1% of the nation consists of illiterate Muslim fundamentalist fanatics who basically feel that anything that does not follow the rules that were followed by the Muslims of 1,400 years ago is against the word of God and against Islam and against the Quran, etc. And these are the people who are armed and dangerous, unfortunately, armed by the United States back in the 80s to fight the Soviet Union, but then basically allowed to grow and fester, uh, grow in power, turn into the movements that later became the Mujahideen and the Taliban, and also the suicide bombers of today.
0: What percentage of the population do you guess is? actually part of this terror organization
1: well quite frankly the terrorist organization as uh, al-qaeda uh, if that's what we're talking about al-qaeda itself is not a huge organization and two it's not even that much of an organization it's actually a band of brothers so to speak that feel very strongly uh, and uh, believe that they'll go to heaven because they're fighting god's war for him as if god needs their help these are a very select small number of people who were trained by the CIA and the Pakistani forces uh, uh, to fight the Soviet Union with uh, American taxpayer money back in the 80s. At that time, Pakistan, etc., did not have religious fundamentalism as a problem. And unfortunately at that time, the Soviet Union was a big threat to the U.S. So under President Reagan and later George W. Bush's father, President H.W. Bush, Uh, America financed the creation of the concept of jihad as a political movement. So literally the price that we are paying at the hands of al-Qaeda and what we saw on September 11 were the results of the cancer cells we actually created in our own labs to kill Russians in Afghanistan, but then when the Russians were defeated, we walked away. Those people then went on to become the trainers of the next generation of terrorists who then exported themselves into Chechnya. Kashmir, Pakistan, India, uh, obviously into the Middle East. And that is what we are seeing as this movement rather than an organization. The reason I'm-it's not-it's more than a matter of semantics. Uh, organization would suggest we have ten people. You get these ten people, you kill them, and the problem is solved. A movement is a much more insidious, much more dangerous thing, much harder to fight. And that's what we basically let loose on the world when George Bush, Sr., walked away from afghanistan when the russians were defeated instead of saying hey we already spent billions here let's spend a little more money build a few roads build a few schools uh, give people a chance to get education and then everything will be done but we as americans uh, shame shamefully i think let the afghans to their own devices let the warlords take over the taliban then came in and actually brought stability so the taliban started as a good thing which of course because there was no education no development they became who they became
0: so how big is this movement in numbers of people, would you guess?
1: Okay, well, um, at the very core, I would think maybe al- al-Qaeda, as we know it, is probably 1,000 core people, which itself is a huge number when you think that each one is capable of uh, getting off something like the September 11 attacks with four or five people doing that. The problem is that those 1,000 people are actually getting a seemingly endless supply of people willing to kill themselves for the reward of heaven, as they see it, for basically doing what al-Qaeda says is an Islamic thing to do, which is not true at all. Suicide is forbidden in Islam. Obviously, a soldier going on a mission, knowing that they will not come back alive, but is not going in that sense of hopeless suicide, I have no, nothing to live for, suicide, that Christianity and Judaism and, and Islam, cetera, All or I believe, all, uh, all forbid. The problem is that these 1,000 or so central people are tapping into frustration and anger that has been caused by decades of what they see as hypocrisy and the persecution of Muslims at the hands of not infidels but the West. And that includes their local elected or unelected leaders that the U.S. keeps in power, based upon American financial aid to the dictators, for example, Hosni Mubarak in Egypt, or even Musharraf in Pakistan, unelected people, but America's best allies get lots of money from America. Musharraf is not so bad, but people like Mubarak and in other countries, the Saudis, for example, the Kuwaitis, they will crush the opposition, leading the oppressed minority and the frustrated majority to be more and more likely to side with anybody who opposes the U.S., thinking that the people who are oppressing me Are being paid and protected by the US for the sake of oil while I am crushed. And that's what the problem is. That's where we're getting the mass of this endless supply of suicide bombers.
0: Why do you think then that President Musharraf hasn't honored his promise to give up power in favor of a more genuine democracy in Pakistan?
1: Because, quite frankly, as soon as he gives up power, he hangs. And as soon as Pakistan has a democracy, we'll be thrown out of Pakistan, etc., because an elected government will have many other constituents to take care of. Uh, They'll have a lot, just like in Italy, when you have coalition governments, uh, there's always instability because people are always trying to make deals. The U.S., and this is where our hypocrisy as an American government lies, not as American people, we we want to see democracy, we want the rest of the world uh, to enjoy the same benefits that we have, as long as we don't have to pay $5 a gallon in gas, quite frankly. However... What the US government does is it always finds it easy to deal with one corrupt or uh, viable dictator than to do uh, business with a parliament or a house of uh, representatives. And so Musharraf has not reneged on his promise to America, he has reneged on his promise to the people of Pakistan. And quite frankly, it we have not punished him for it. Uh, 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 Hosni Mubarak in Egypt has had a sham election after 30 years of dictatorship in which he chose who would run against him, and even then he threw those people in jail. And Laura Bush was there saying what a great example of democracy in the making Egypt is. What do you think that makes the Egyptians think of us? That makes them hate us, you and me, people in Iowa who have never seen Egypt or who have no likelihood of being Pakistan. That makes them hate you and me, thinking that unlike them, you and I have the power to elect our representatives. They do not realize that less people vote in the American presidential election than vote for American Idol or some other stupid television show. So they think that you and I are responsible for our government selection. Hence, you and I must have told George Bush or would have fired George W. Bush if his policies are so against what you and I stand for. Hence, they think you and I are responsible. And hence, you and I, whether I'm a Muslim, whether you're a Christian or Jew or atheist or Hindu, you and I are all likely targets of al-qaeda and anybody who is frustrated with american foreign policy
0: is it any accident that we haven't had any more terrorism attacks here in the united states
1: quite frankly it's nothing uh, for somebody to be uh, patting themselves on the back for it's very fortunate we have not had any attacks but at the same time it could be because they have not found the right avenue to attack us so it's not that we have become safer because of something smart that george bush did or something. Uh, really sharp and valid and legal that Dick Cheney did, or something that John Kerry did or didn't do. The fact of the matter is, as uh, somebody who I sometimes disagree with but have immense respect for, it's not that they haven't attacked us. They're busy reloading. And if they are reloading, the best example of that is when we found some proof or some discussion that al-Qaeda actually considered blowing up the New York City subway system and decided that it was not spectacular enough. Now, for our listeners, if you have seen that movie, I believe it was Die Hard 2, in which one subway st- one subway station basically blows up from a train collision, and uh, under the Federal Depository um, uh, Bank in uh, Lower Manhattan.
0: That was Die Hard 3.
1: That Die Hard 3. Thank you very much. And and that basically leads to an evacuation of Manhattan. Enough. Uh, it's a movie, sure enough, but you saw how spectacular one train station blow-up can be without explosives. So imagine what an attack on the entire subway system would be. But to them, it was not as spectacular as the collapse of the World Trade Center. So what I shudder to think about is what they consider spectacular enough, and that's what has me worried. While our politicians, and including our government, people are going about usurping our rights as Americans. What makes us America is not nuclear weapons. I just want that. It's it's a slight digression, if you'll permit me. What makes us America is not nuclear weapons. Guess what? Many countries have them. India and Pakistan have nuclear weapons. It's not skyscrapers. The Russians have them. The Indonesians have bigger towers than us. What makes us American is our system of values, our constitutional freedoms. What makes us American is our respect for the law and our respect that our nation and the law are above everybody else and nobody is above the law. That's what makes us American. And what we have been doing since September 11 is, in the name of security, which I want as much as you do, which I need as much as you do, as a matter of fact, even more so, if I may say so, because I live in New York. But if it comes, if that security comes at the cost of what we are as Americans, guess what? We may have the military battle, but we will have lost the historic battle of being who we are, and that would be a terrible price to pay. And that is what I am very frustrated by, that the terror attacks, whether they happen again or not, which, it's, in my humble opinion, it's a matter of when rather than if, and it's a matter of catching them before they actually get away with it, but not the price to our constitution, spying on our own citizens, listening into conversations of normal, loyal, patriotic Americans just to expand political powers of the executive branch while Congress plays dead, thank God and God bless the Supreme Court, that even with a divided decision, made me so proud to be an American. They brought back attention to the fact that the founding fathers made this great country with a system of checks and balances between three parts of government, and it's time for the second and third part to wake up.
0: You mentioned nuclear weapons doesn't make America who it is. What do you think will happen if countries like North Korea, who cannot keep their word, gets nuclear weapons?
1: That's, that's a great question. The, the irony is that we sound uh, like uh, hypocrites when we unfortunately go and talk to Pakistan and India, or even North Korea and Iran about nuclear weapons, because they turn around and say to us, hmm, the only time I remember nuclear weapons being used by anybody and on civilians was by the United States and we give excuses and explanations etc but that's what they throw in our face the problem with north korea is a bigger one than uh keeping their word because we have broken more treaties under george w bush than almost all the recent presidents combined did
0: such as what which ones
1: we have been ignoring the geneva convention that we had been signatory to we have withdrawn from uh the uh treaties that related to um, uh the clean environment etc and similarly i mean I'm not even an expert on treaties so much as the fact that we have continued to do that and withdrawn from many things that we had agreed to, while North Korea and all do that. The problem is that even if we had the same set of actions, what makes North Korea worse is that it is a madman, a nutjob dictator who is running the show. Even a country like Pakistan, where we have a valid concern that what happens if someday fundamentalist Muslim terrorists get their hands on a nuclear weapon the funny thing is that the pakistani military is so westernized so trained in america and so american in its outlook that it is actually one of the more secure uh, ways of securing uh, nuclear weapons in pakistan and even in india i believe than say in the post in the old soviet union which is another issue of concern we can talk about separately but north korea absolutely it's not just a matter of their word which i am less concerned about It's the fact that it's a madman who has nothing to lose and has delusions of grandeur. And that is what I am concerned about more. And that in itself is a reason enough for us not to have North Korea have nuclear weapons.
0: But you mentioned Pakistan as being maybe a reasonable country with nuclear arms, correct?
1: Because both they and the Indians know that if a nuclear, um, if a a stare down, starts, it will turn into a showdown. And if a showdown starts, both countries will have the following thinking. And this almost happened in uh, 1998, I believe, if you remember. Um, The issue is that if Pakistanis or the Indians feel that the other side can take a preemptive strike at their nuclear facilities, then what use are nuclear weapons that are destroyed in their silos? You, why not release and launch them? And if that thinking takes over, much like there was a risk of that between the Soviet Union and the U.S. many, many decades ago, that risk is what we almost saw in 98. But fortunately, they stepped back from the brink. So that possibility is there. But the reason that possibility is, I'm not saying preferable, but the reason that possibility is less scary is because it's still rational, logical thinking, men and women, I hope, on both sides doing the decision-making, rather than one madman saying, press the button.
0: So you're saying that Pakistani government officials are more reasonable and probably won't push the button if push came to shove?
1: If they had reason to believe that India might do a preemptive strike at them, or even if they felt Israel, for example, had been suspected of trying to do a preemptive strike on Pakistan, if they see the possibility of their weapons being destroyed without being used, as happened to, I believe, Iraq some years ago uh, at the hands of the Israelis, at the hands of the Israelis, that is when they would rather launch.
0: If the Pakistanis are reasonable people, then what's the logic behind helping North Korea build their nuclear program?
1: Excellent question, and that was a purely business decision. If you remember, a
0: purely business decision.
1: The Pakistanis have a very good nuclear program, because they built, stole information, developed information, begged, uh, you know, borrowed and bought information from this black market that exists around the world. What the Pakistanis then had was nuclear technology and nuclear weapon-making mechanisms, but not the ability to deliver them. Pakistan had its indigenous missile capability, but a few hundred miles, basically hitting Indian troops, moving into uh, Pakistani border towns, for example but not the ability to hit say within the middle or the far east of india if a war started that is what the uh, north koreans have always been great at because they've always had chinese help in building their rocket capability over the last decades basically so in exchange for north korean nuclear uh, for, for north korean missile technology the pakistanis gave them a nuclear know-how or designs and blueprints and that, of course, is hearsay, because I do not have a photograph of a Pakistani scientist making a deal with a nuclear scientist from, or a rocket scientist from, from North Korea. But it is said that similar deals could also be possible between Iran and North Korea, because in Iran's case now, Iran could say to the North Koreans, the Pakistanis are not selling us nuclear designs. And there are many reasons for that, even though you and I would think, hmm, they're both Muslim countries. And if there's enough Pakistanis who hate America and enough Iranians who hate America, why wouldn't they make a deal? The fact of the matter is Iran and Pakistan are sh- Shiite and Sunni Muslim countries, opposing uh, factions much like the uh, um, uh, the uh, Protestants and, uh, and Catholics in Ireland. And so neither side would actually like to see the other armed and strong, especially when they both see themselves as future power players or superpowers of the region. So Iran could say to North Korea, you have no money and you have no oil. Guess what? I can make you a deal on oil if you let me have some of A, your rockets, and B, some of the nuclear designs. And that's what I'm more worried about also, because then the these barter deals of countries that we are trying to isolate are going to backfire. Isolationism and isolating uh, a rogue state can only work so far as long as rogue states the number of rogue states that we are isolating does not grow so large that they have a little mini-club of their own that they can start making deals. And if Chavez in Venezuela hates us and says, I'll sell my F-16s to Iran, and North Korea says, hey, I'll give you some nuclear know-how if you'll give me oil, etc., etc., what you have done is you have thought that you are isolating the bad guys, but there's enough people, quote, called bad guys that they have a little club going, five, six, seven countries, and the embargoes become meaningless then. And then we're back to
0: square one. Two quick questions. First of all, why is it good business to do business with a madman such as North Korea? And why is it so good to have technology for making bombs when you're starving your own people?
1: Well, absolutely. In the case of North Korea, we know that he's starving his people while he's watching uh, Swedish porn uh, movies, I believe, is is what the news stories say. That is not good business decision. North Korea, I've already said, is a madman running the show with the people not even having the right to think independently.
0: So why does Pakistan think that's good business?
1: Well, when you asked me why would Pakistan give nuclear technology or nuclear designs to North Korea, it was a business decision because the North Koreans had something that they, the Pakistanis needed.
0: Yeah, but why would that be good?
1: For them, for the Pakistanis, is what I'm saying.
0: It, was that the only avenue that they could get that technology?
1: Because, because, here's the problem: rocket. Technically, if you, I think there was this great movie that I um, remember. I think October Sky, which is about some kids uh, learning to make rockets uh, in a coal mining town, etc. So, I mean, technically, any teenagers can go buy uh, the, the, the the makings of a rocket, and then you simply say, "Let me multiply this by 100 and see if I can build a bigger rocket."
0: I used to build rockets when I was a kid.
1: I am talking to a terrorist in the making. I hope not. <laughs> I'm just but, but seriously. What happens is that North, uh, North Korea has had plenty of experience building and testing uh, medium-range, not long-range, we already saw their Taipodong Dong-2, what a funny name for a missile. Um, uh, we heard uh, that missile splashed into the ocean. However, 1,800 miles is more than enough for Pakistanis to feel safe as a deterrent against India, because just the fact that Pakistan and India both have nukes was a deterrent in itself, but if Pakistan cannot deliver them, let's say Pakistan puts the uh, nuclear weapon on the belly of an S-16 or a a bomber that they have and sends it into India and it gets shot down, the Indians still have a chance of saying we can shoot down enough Pakistani planes because our air force is much larger. Missiles give Pakistan a little more, uh, not equality on the battlefield, but the risk or the chance of getting one or two nukes into Indian cities if India were to attack them with their long-range missiles. So that was a business decision for the Pakistanis so the point I'm making is not that it was a good business decision on their part for us that they made it No, I'm saying is for them it was simple business logic hey they have something I need I have something they need Uh, let's make a barter deal so it made sense for them at that time the reason Pakistan is not going to be that concerned about North Korea having nukes or other weapons is because North Korea South Korea China Japan etc Indonesia and Pakistan are very uh, geographically separate from each other, so they don't have any point of contention. India and Pakistan constantly fight about Kashmir. Um, India and Afghanistan, uh, sorry, Pakistan and Afghanistan can fight about some territories up where bin Laden might be hiding. Pakistan and Iran can fight about the Shiite Sunni issues, as, as, you, can, as you can imagine. The problem is that, or the good thing for Pakistan is they don't have any conflict with North Korea. North Korea hates America. North Korea hates South Korea. North Korea hates Japan.
0: But everybody hates North Korea.
1: Absolutely, and that's why it is so essential for all the countries in the world to get together. If North Korea were a nuclear country, sure, that's not a good thing for the planet in general, much like I was not a big fan of Pakistan and India becoming nuclear powers. However... If a country knows how to handle its self-responsibility, we we have said we hate the French in some of our uh, political rhetoric uh, during the Iraq war. However, the the the, the, the French have nuclear weapons. They have never been a threat to us. The Brits have nuclear weapons. They're not a threat to anybody in the world. So the issue is responsible government not run by an individual madman. Even a dictatorship, much like we have in Pakistan, it's not a one-man dictatorship where the one man says, press a button. There is a professional system in place that keeps that thing from becoming a problem for the rest of the world.
0: Should Pakistan continue its talks with Iran about sharing nuclear energy?
1: Actually, the, the talks that they've been having have been on um, the transmission of Iranian oil and gas. Uh, this is something we, um, as Americans, actually have taken an uh, incorrect position on, unfortunately. Iran, obviously, as we know, has a lot of oil and gas that it can export. And right now, um, their hope is to build a pipeline that goes from Iran through Pakistan into India. Now if you realize we're paying three or four dollars a gallon and the excuse, the oil price or the oil companies that are gouging us uh, with thirty six billion dollar profits for Exxon Mobil in one year, uh, the, the profits that they're making are driven by them claiming, that India and China are buying a lot of the oil uh, and the gas around the world. Now if Iran starts providing India with some natural gas, it will give incentive to India not to buy the same oil that you and I are trying to drive our SUVs and our V12 engine cars with. And so the U.S. has looked at this as, oh, it will help the Iranians make some money. So we don't want that to happen. So we have actually been squeezing our two allies, Pakistan and our new ally, India, and saying don't do business with Iran. But in this particular case, both these countries, India and Pakistan, know that the U.S. has a very short attention span. They have seen what Afghanistan went through and how America walked away. So they know that if, under American pressure, they give up this deal, and let's say Iran builds a pipeline to Russia, they will have lost an opportunity for low-cost energy and billions of dollars in transportation royalties for centuries, if not-you know, for decades, if not centuries, obviously. And so those two countries are going ahead with those talks with Iran. And nuclear, again, like I said, Pakistan can uh, be a member of uh, the IAEA Organization on Atomic Energy and talk to Iran on-just like any other country. But Pakistanis as a nation, uh, as a Muslim-mostly Sunni nation with a 20 percent Shiite segment, will always be worried and concerned about a, an 80% or 90% Shiite Iran being a, a destabilizing factor with the 20% Shiites that live within Pakistan and the fact that Iran sees itself as the, the, the head honcho of the region.
0: Are you saying that Pakistan and Iran are not talking about nuclear capabilities or nuclear energy?
1: Nuclear energy, uh, um, Pakistan is not actually capable of being an exporter of nuclear, peaceful energy know-how. Pakistan has uh, one, I believe, a nuclear reactor that the French built in 1970 or something that has been shut down because the U.S. wouldn't allow uh, anybody to sell them fuel for it. So if somebody wants to sell them designs for a 1970 reactor that you can't even operate now... Uh, I'm sure somebody in Pakistan would be happy to sell the designs to Iran or anybody. The issue is nuclear weapons technology or nuclear technology that can be weaponized. There will be no interest in the Pakistanis. I mean, we can, we can find things that suggest that might happen. We can find uh, um, uh, hints or suggestions or risks. I'm sure the Iranians will knock on the Islamic door, saying, hey, we are the Islamic Republic of pa- Iran, and you are the Islamic Republic of Pakistan. Uh, can you help us out here? The problem, as I said, the concern about Iran and its support for the 20 percent Shiites who sometimes get violent within Pakistan, and Pakistan also tends to have the same ethnic strife Iraq has right now, those things tend to make Pakistanis very concerned if Iran were to become a nuclear power. So if you will find very few Pakistanis even willing to uh, give hints on how to make nuclear weapons or, or, or nuclear energy to Iran.
0: But they had no problem with giving that information to North Korea.
1: Because North Korea is not a threat to Pakistan, and North Korea had working missiles that Pakistan needed. So again, we, I have no proof that Pakistan and North Korea made these deals, but based upon the research I have seen, could something like this have been done? Yes, it is possible. So obviously for our listeners, we should be very clear on that.
0: It's possible that they could be giving this information to Iran as well, especially if all the talks with the U.N. break down.
1: Again, absolutely anything in the world is is possible. If I hate one of my neighbors here, there is nothing stopping me from selling my house to him if he offers me $5 million for it instead of two. However, if I know that any money that that man makes is going to be used to shoot at my car or my family, I will be very concerned about making, taking any action or making any decision that could enrich him. I know it's not a very good example, but again, the whole point is that the stress and the tension between Pakistan and Iran, even as friendly nations, uh, goes back to the 70s, when the Shah of Iran fell and that uh, the Ayatollah came into power. And that became a point of contention, because Pakistan had always been a U.S. ally and Iranians had basically been an American satellite, and they went to the other extreme where they became America's enemy number one. So Pakistan was not comfor- comfortable with the religious swing the Iranians took from an extremely ultra-modern, um, almost Muslim, to a pseudo-1400-year-old society in terms of the clerics who ruled the country, and then their anti-American rhetoric and their desire to export that Iranian religious revolution They tried that. They actually, um, uh, there was financial uh, input from Iran into the Shiite and other uh, fundamentalists within Pakistan many years ago. And I'm sure some level of that still goes on. So Pakistan cannot afford to have a, Pakistan does not need a weak Iran next to it, but Pakistan also cannot afford a nuclear-armed or strongly-armed or very rich, very rich, with money to burn Iran next to it, uh, if it is run as a theocracy, if Iran becomes a democratic country, for example, if the uh, the mullahs are gone and it becomes a semi uh, liberated uh, country, say like Turkey or Pakistan, for example, yes, they might have one percent or two percent nut jobs that everybody has. We have our militias and we have our skinheads and uh, you know the, the uh, some of the the, the black panthers or, or you know and the 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 Muslim groups up in Albany or something. We have those problems, too. Again, it's less than 1%. So if uh, Iran were to become a modern, reliable, developing, and friendly state, then Pakistan would still be concerned about Iran having nuclear weapons but would be less worried. At this stage, clerics having uh, nukes is something that moderate Pakistan can neither afford nor desires and would neither be happy to see.
0: Do you see Iran becoming moderate in your lifetime?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. As a matter of fact... Really? Absolutely. The Here's the scary thing. Most Americans seem to forget. I mean, we have a very short attention span as a nation. I was growing up in Pakistan as a teenager when Iranian engineers would visit Pakistan to work with my father on irrigation projects. Now, my family is educated, conservative, uh, um, without being religious uh, or orthodox. And yet, when the Iranians arrived with their beautiful, you know, and stylishly dressed, uh, miniskirt-wearing uh, wives. Even I, as a teenager, was in heaven because I said, oh, my God, I have to go to Iran when I grow up. Uh, just kidding. But, but seriously, they went from that state to where, you know, they're all covered in chadors and burqas, those, you know, those, those coverings, and they hate America. It all happened because of our blind support for the Shah of Iran, who was so busy killing Iranians that we actually let him do it. And so when Ayatollah Khomeini came in, they literally went the other extreme. They got the chance to pour out all their hatred against us. What is happening now is the masses in Iran are ready to be a moderate society, be a part of the world uh, community, and to have dialogue and friendship with America. They listen to, uh, to the same music our kids listen to.
0: If the majority of people in Iran are moderates, then why do they have nut jobs in their government?
1: The funny thing is that when we discuss nut jobs, we have to be very careful in what type of nut job we're uh, we're talking about. A nut job or a weirdo psycho, as we have in North Korea, is different from what you and I will call a nut job for being a Bible thumper or a Quran thumper or a whatever Hebrew uh, you know the, uh, the uh, book might be thumping uh, Israeli, for example, in Israel. The issue is. The Iranians are not psychos. They're not lunatics.
0: Well, they, they are to the Israelis.
1: Well, the Israelis can think of, uh, you know, anybody who threatens Israel can, can be considered a psycho or whatever in semantics. But again, let's look at something. I can have somebody who hates my guts, but I cannot call him a madman. At the same time, I can have somebody who has made no threat to me, but I know he should be on several drugs and is not taking his medicine and someday may blow up and cause Columbine High School uh, type events, for example. So the issue is that that peaceful psycho or that quiet psycho is more dangerous than the belligerent, um, angry, uh, you know, uh, shouting and uh, uh, even cursing us uh, person who actually is not a lunatic. So the issue with Iran is that the clerics are very shrewd. if you've noticed, they're actually, they let people have enough freedom and then they, Put it back in check. They let people have enough. So they have actually done something the Shah of Iran failed to do. The Shah was trying to shove his view of the monarchy and and the kingdom on everybody. Anybody who stood against him, they he killed them. Once these clerics came into power, what they do is when they see the Iranian population reaching a boiling point in frustration, when they feel that you know I can't wear jeans, I can't listen to music, I can't rollerblade, they they let loose some of those regulations. People start enjoying a certain level of freedom. Then some event happens, which they wait for, and then they say, oops, see that girl who showed up in a bikini at that stadium? Up, we have we have gone too far to, to the modernism. Let's pull back. So that's what they're doing. They're actually literally tuning what they do with the country, as opposed to the Taliban who said, stone age laws and nothing else. So the Iranians, uh, to call them nut jobs, is actually going to be a disservice to us, because then we are patting ourselves on the back thinking, You know, we know how to deal with madmen. It's more difficult to deal with a cunning, shrewd, and intelligent enemy. So the Iranian masses are ready for moderation. However, we have not given them enough reason. We have not taken enough actions as Americans to let the Iranian masses know that we're not out to get them.
0: Should the U.S. be willing to sit down with North Korea like it has offered to do with Iran?
1: That's a great question. The answer to any conflict is, Talking is always better than not talking, unless the talking and the sitting down and having a dialogue is done in response to somebody's bad behavior, meaning I do not agree with rewarding bad behavior. In the case of North Korea, they have actually gone out of their way to show bad behavior and show that they can continue to have the bad behavior, and then expecting us to sit down and talk with them. So while I say, yes, in the long run, we will have to sit down and talk with them, but the problem is that we are not sitting and talking with North Korea. We are sitting and talking with a madman. Hence, again, that has to be taken with that grain of salt. What is the value of sitting down with a madman? The bigger issue is a madman is, is showing bad behavior. That madman needs to be shown some discipline, needs to be shown some consequences for his actions, and that is where sanctions should have already been in place. That is the country that we should have even possibly invaded. That is the country that we should have taken a preemptive strike on the uh, type of dong or whatever those missiles are, even before, or even take out that missile parade that that madman has when he's standing there, take out his top 100 people and that whole parade with those missiles, etc., and let the North Koreans vote a new man into power. And that is what I am okay with. I am a peace-loving man. I do not agree with war as a solution. But this would not be war against North Korea. This would be taking out a 100 evil people. However, in the meantime...
0: But isn't that what happened in Iraq?
1: But Iraq was no threat to us. Iraq did not carry out 9-11. Iraq did not have weapons of mass destruction. Iraq was not testing uh, missiles capable of hitting or aimed at Hawaii.
0: No, but they were pretending to.
1: No, nobody was pretending to it was what our George Tenet and everybody and uh, Colin Powell and the United Nations claimed to with false or stupid photographs. Again, the point is, Saddam was not a madman either. He was an evil man. There is no doubt about that. But
0: so what's the difference?
1: That's exactly the point I'm making. And Stalin was not a madman in the sense that he was a cunning man who knew what to do to put fear into people and to control the the masses. So was Mao Zedong. Uh, So was, uh, you know, uh, 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 Saddam Hussein. So was uh, Hafiz Al-Assad of Syria. The the issue is madman in the typical medical sense is what I'm talking about, I guess. My problem with the North Korean guy is he is psycho in the medical term. Not that I'm a psychologist or anything to be able to make that declaration, but what what I'm saying is that calling a, a cunning, shrewd threatening enemy a madman is is good rhetoric but it does not define the problem correctly if you're trying to solve the problem in North Korea we have an actual what i would consider a medical psychotic uh, uh you know like
0: real nut job
1: nut job in in exactly is in, in exactly the right word so the thing with north korea is we should have done if if george w bush had taken unilateral action or if he had even said i'm going to send troops into north korea because of his firing this missile that could have hit Hawaii, I would volunteer to go. I, I don't think I'll be taken by the U.S. Army with, you know, I need to lose some weight here. However, I would be happy to volunteer to go and fight for that cause or to support President George W. Bush in the United Nations or on, in any forum at all. However, we did not do that. And while our president sort of, his missile fell into the sea, That's not the right response to a madman testing nuclear-capable missiles capable of hitting San Francisco or Hawaii. And so that was the response, so I'm highly opposed to that response. And secondly, I feel that we have Russia and China, our so-called allies, and China, our business partner, whose economy is running a record surplus simply because we Americans have an appetite for keeping buying stuff from China, and they're holding more and more of our debt, I believe. And that country and Russia have basically stabbed us in the back on this one and are not letting us do what needs to be done with North Korea. And our president is trying to make excuses saying North Korea is not such a big deal. It is a much bigger deal. It is something that has me more worried than and Hafez Assad of Syria and Hosni Mubarak of Egypt all combined could have me worried.
0: With Russia and China closer to backing sanctions on Iran, do you think they'll also back the sanctions against North Korea?
1: No, I don't believe they will for two reasons. One is that... It, with Iran, they are basically uh, selling us their vote. Uh, uh, basically, Putin, for example, did not uh, side with us on many issues until we basically, I, I, I will use the word sold out, some things that we had taken principled stands on. For example, the freedom for the people of Chechnya. We had always been supporters of Chechnyan freedom. However, we said to Putin, go ahead and do what you need to do there in exchange for your supporting us, whatever needs to be done with, uh, you know, post-September 11, uh, you know, going after Iraq or or other things, or Iran in this case. So Putin is basically uh, taking advantage of the fact that we are running short on allies who are not getting paid by us. And so he's cashing out on that. And secondly, uh, China depends on us for for a lot of uh, dollar revenue, basically. Their economy is really driven by us. And are, I'm sorry, I'm a, I'm a very I'm capitalistic at heart, and I am all for free trade and uh, everything, but I cannot stand American companies falling over each other trying to give know-how to China to build the stuff to ship back to us, which eventually will drive our manufacturing out of out of out of business. And in the meantime, we're exporting all our high-paying jobs to India, meaning down the road we won't even have the jobs to buy the stuff that we buy from the rest of the world, the cars and the television sets, etc., and driving our own economy down. But that's a whole separate discussion. But China will sell out on Iran. North Korea is a little bit uh, different because it's also a communist regime. And, yes, they consider him a little bit of a nut job. But at the same time, uh, it sort of validates their point that communism is a valid form, or a communist party is a valid form of government, even though China is making all its money, good old-fashioned corrupt capitalism with... You know, some companies getting rich while the masses are still very poor, Uh, but in the meantime, they still support the concept of communism. So uh, letting America come into um, North uh, North Korea when America already is in South Korea is also going to be a little bit of a concern for uh, both Russia and China.
0: We have no pull with North Korea because we stopped trade with them long ago. So it seems to be that the only way that we can really pressure North Korea is to pressure the Russians and the Chinese. So how can we do that?
1: Well, basically considering how much Russia needs our help, even to this day, we are basically even, Russia is even willing to take our nuclear garbage and our nuclear waste materials in exchange for dollars. I mean, that's how desperate they are for cash. Um, What we are doing is, unfortunately, since uh, the attack uh, uh, on Iraq, we've had to sell out our strength and both moral and uh, political clout to Russia, which has actually strengthened Putin's hand in many ways. But at the same time, he is still not a superpower, though, and this is something Americans need to be concerned about, the Russian army is growing, the Russian military spending is growing, And it is said that they are working on some new advanced form of weaponry that would surprise us. I'm sure our CIA and FBI, not FBI, but the CIA and NSA are focusing on that instead of the conversation you and I have on our telephone um, late at night or early in the morning someday. However, uh, Russia still needs to be told who is boss, and we are not doing that. And China needs to be told that we Americans take our future and our security very seriously. And if China does not do the right thing, does not support us in the right causes, then we can also turn off the spigot, which really has the Chinese engine going.
0: And here's the final question. Besides yourself, who would you consider to be a positive Muslim role model that the rest of the world can look up to?
1: Well, I've always looked at Turkey as a good example. If we're talking about countries rather than people, um, Turkey has, has, has been a good balance of east and west. Um, the sad thing is that um, in Turkey, the fundamentalists are gaining popularity because, unlike America, where we are, you know, we all have our bigotries and our racism in different forms. Um, in Europe, the Europeans have had a shameful sense of hypocrisy in admitting Turkey into the uh, European Union. So it's giving a lot of strength to the conservative and hence the fundamentalists in Turkey saying you wanted to be Western and they spat on you. So that nationalism that is coming uh, alive in Turkey will actually become a sad loss for us as the West, so to speak, or as uh, uh, the modern democratic societies, uh, because even the good examples like Turkey that we have, we are basically losing them because of uh, uh, hypocrisy um, of the Europeans, etc., uh, but Pakistan could be a great example if we did a little more to build bridges with the nation rather than with dictators, and that's what we've unfortunately tended to do, is it's easier to have a Swiss account for a dictator than to build hospitals in a country. Don't give the money to dictators and generals. Give the money. I don't care if you give the money to Halliburton that I oppose and criticize all the time. Give the money to Halliburton to build hospitals in Pakistan or Egypt there is anti-American sentiment. And let the people benefit. Let the people benefit. Even if we keep corrupt dictators in power, but let the people benefit. We will find when we will have one friend, friends, hearts and minds all over the world. And I thought that's what being American was all about.
0: Is there one Muslim in the world that the rest of the world can look up to?
1: The unfortunate thing is that right now a whole lot of them had been looking up to Osama bin Laden because he seemed to be the one man who could stand up Uh, you know, and speak on all causes that related to Muslims. And he's not a good example simply because most Muslims are not being told because the media does not take voices like you are carrying my voice that bin Laden is responsible for more Muslims getting killed than America or China or Russia or any, quote, infidel country has. And uh, so definitely there are Muslim um, um, role models. Some of them are not good right now. But that points out the biggest problem I have. You and I watch TV, uh, I'm sure, and if you watch TV, when was the last time, and and let me back up for a second, the number of uh, Muslims in America is said to be between 6 to 10 million. When was the last time, except for an occasional show showing an uh, Indian doctor, not even a Muslim doctor, but when was the last time you saw a TV show, like Friends even, in which they showed them having a a uh, Pakistani doctor friend, or even an Indian cab driver, or a, an, engin- an engineer from India. Um, you know, even I, I, have, I never saw the show Sex and the City, but I'd be very curious to see how many of the guys that those girls went out with in those two to five years or whatever that show ran, how many of them were from other races and uh, nations, et uh, And And if we see that we have 10 million of those people, Muslims, amongst ourselves, yet they are invisible in the media. How can I expect somebody sitting in Iowa or Kansas to even be aware of us as existing, much less as being role models for the rest of the world to see? So the rest of the world knows who Tom Cruise is, and they look at him or Johnny Depp with Pirates of the Caribbean. Wouldn't it be great if we actually, America, became the source for good role models of Muslims that the rest of the Muslim world could see and say, wow, look at how great America is. That, that guy from Pakistan, what's his name? Imran is such a great media personality or you know is in the movies or something. and you know Harvey Weinstein, you can call me anytime. Uh, but seriously, that is where we have an opportunity. Whatever it is, I always see a problem as an opportunity to create a solution. and there are so many solutions we ourselves would create that would help us win friends, influence people, and raise the American flag, not as oppressors or occupiers or invaders but as friends and allies around the world in every single country in the world.
0: So to come back to the question a third time, is there one positive Muslim role model out there that the world can look up to?
1: Again, you're asking as an individual?
0: No, what, in your opinion.
1: Like I said, Turkey as a country is obviously a good role model yep, that the Muslims should look
0: up to. But, but one is there one person, one single Muslim in the world today, That the world can look up to and say that's a positive role model, that's somebody we should look up to?
1: It's not possible to have that, unfortunately, because there are 1.3 or so billion Muslims around the world.
0: So there should be at least one.
1: But that's the point I'm making is that there are about 60 or 70 countries that. So, you know, a country with 100 million, uh, uh, 200 million Muslims like India has Salman Khan, who is their Muslim. sort of uh, Tom Cruise basically and and a great role model he's a great social worker and a great movie star so obviously the 1 billion people including the 200 million Indian Muslims can look up to him including Pakistani and Bangladeshi Muslims but he might not be known in Indonesia because his movies are in a move in a language they do not understand there might be an Indonesian person of the same type for those million people that I do not know simply because I do not know the movies there so there will be several individuals obviously the problem is that when you're trying to do $1.3 billion, then it will be very hard, because it would be like my asking, is there a positive role model um, for, uh, for, for Catholics? You know, and not the Pope, obviously. And the issue would be Irish Catholics in Ireland might be looking up to somebody else from uh, Roman Catholics or Irish Catholics uh, living in the city of New York.
0: But at least that would be one.
1: But, that, but that's the point I'm making, is that Salman Khan in India, Imran Khan in Pakistan, the movie Uh, The uh, uh, cricketer-turned-politician-turned-social worker who literally has put his name and his health and his life on the line to build cancer hospitals, etc. I mean, the world is full of examples like that.
0: Well, and that's that's what I'm looking for. I mean, there there should be lots of examples, but are they being seen and are they being undermined by the Osama bin Laden's of the world?
1: That's a great question. The point I was making was that, yes, Imran Khan is known. But the problem, again, like I said, is people in Indonesia would not know him simply because his hospital might not be built there. So what we as the media can do is highlight more of these people. If, for example, Imran Khan is on the cover of Time magazine for his work, yes, then we have given the world a role model, not even created one out of, uh, you know, thin air, but given air to somebody so that people can say, wow, this is the man I want to be like. He has built, that man built the first cancer hospital with his own money and donations in Pakistan ever. And since the last 20 years or whatever, he has spent every time, every, every you know, living moment of his life trying to enhance and expand those hospitals, etc. He's in America right now raising funds, and he goes and puts his own money and his own uh, literally life on the line for this. The fact of the matter is there are many others. What we need to do is to help bring those to light and say, think about it, you 1.3 billion Muslims, Who do you think represents the values of you, your religion, even your prophet, more than these people who alleviate suffering and bring health and life and food and shelter to the oppressed masses around the world? Or this man, Osama bin Laden, who, in the name of Islam, has hijacked your religion and has killed more human beings and has killed more Muslims than even America has killed in Iraq? And that really would get the message across if we are the ones carrying that message.
0: Imran, it's time to play Ask Bill 3. This is where I'm going to turn the microphone over to you. And you get to ask me or maybe grill me on three questions that you choose. So go ahead. Excellent.
1: What do you think Americans think of Muslims and why why would there be the misconceptions there might be?
0: Well, I think it comes back to the question that I asked you, which was name one. And they're trying to find... A good example of somebody that really says, okay, here's somebody that is bringing peace to the world that is a Muslim. And until that person comes out, I think the stereotype is that for the majority of Muslims is that they hate the Western society and they're trying to kill us at any given opportunity.
1: Now, does that mean you think that 1.3 billion Muslims are trying to kill uh, 200, 300 million Americans uh, at every opportunity? Or or is it a m- small minority that we can manage simply by building better build, uh, bridges with the 1.3 billion Muslims?
0: It is the smaller minority, but as you said earlier in the program, it's the smaller group that is kind of invisible that we just don't know about. So we don't know which ones are the ones that like us and which ones are the ones that, that want to do us in.
1: What do you think uh, Americans and our listeners can do to help build bridges with the rest of the world.
0: I think for the most part, the people that I've talked to around the world like Americans, but they don't like our government's policies. God
1: bless you. That's something I've been saying for 20 years, and nobody seems to understand that.
0: So maybe through this open conversation like you and I are having, people around the world can then have a clearer picture of what is actually happening around them and can form their own opinions from there
1: the the only downside to that is uh, remember that because of the colonial heritage when the british and the french and portuguese and dutch etc colonized many 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 countries for for centuries education was the one thing that they wiped out first of all to make sure the people would stay enslaved so the internet is great the only problem is uh, most of it is in english and if you're blogging in english and 90% of pakistanis cannot even read urdu their own language and only half a percent have a computer Uh, That that form of bridge building will will build bridges to some intellectuals who might already be willing to listen to us because they might be reading up about us, Bill and Imran, being good guys or something. So I think the mass media, um, Hollywood in particular, which has a terrible record of showing Muslims as the ugly, Arab, stupid um, terrorist or dumb guest at a party who has money to burn but no brains, I mean, those stereotypes go a long way, and if they started showing some role models uh, or positive models, not even role models, um, you know, regular some characters on TV as doctors or engineers or next-door neighbors or whatever. And uh, similarly, where we've come a long way from where almost every show in the 70s that I grew up watching in Pakistan, American TV shows had the bad guy was, 90% of the bad guys were black in those TV shows. Um to where now it's gotten so politically correct it makes me sick, is that every white uh, hero in an action movie has to have a, uh, a black or African-American sidekick, uh, which to me is basically political correctness run amok. Um, hey, well, sure, if, if uh, um, you know, there's a white cop, uh, maybe he can have a, uh, an Indian cop next to him in, a, in an action movie or something, and that does not happen so much, and uh, God bless the few uh, people uh, whom I consider American heroes for uh, taking chances with their with their careers and their uh, with their uh, future uh, income by by making movies or making music or making uh, uh, content that tries to get that message across. George Clooney's movie um, um, with uh, with Siriana, I guess, is a great example of that.
0: Imran, do you want to tell about your projects and how people can find out more about you on the web?
1: I would be delighted. Uh, I invite uh, listeners to visit www.imran.com, which is I-M-R-A-N, imran.com. I have a very popular blog that gets quoted in a lot of places, and also my uh, CNN, Fox News, and other interviews, et cetera, are online, uh, most of them. I invite uh, listeners to click on imran.com, send me an email, I read, and respond to every single real email uh, which is... Uh, something i'm very proud of
0: imran thank you so much for being our guest this week on you are the guest
1: it's my pleasure and keep up the good work and let's build some bridges so that the rest of the world knows what a great place america is and what great people the american people are if you'd like to be a guest on a future show just go to our website at www.youaretheguest.com submit your first name the town where you live and a short description on why you would make a good guest there is no charge for being a guest, and you'll have the opportunity to share what you think and how the news and events from today affect your life. The show's producers will contact you by email if you're chosen for a
0: future show. If you'd like to drop me a comment about this week's show, just email me at BillGrady at youartheguest.com. That takes care of this week's show from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa. I'm Bill Grady. Thanks for listening.